Control, Perfect Information Games, and Kelvin and the Infamous Machine. This is Staying In. Pete, you're looking sharp. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I, 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 I mean, I didn't do it. I, I had a someone. I had a. I had a professional do it. Professional do what? My hair. Yeah. Your hair. What, do, Pete? What do you say when you walk into your barber? Do you just say the mm. usual? Are you at that stage yet? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think me and Stephen are me and Stephen are pretty close now, and uh, not close enough that you don't call him Steve, just Stephen still. I, I think he prefers Stephen. Okay. Uh, that's how close we are. I know to go with the full name. Mm. Mm. Um, so I went in and I was like, Stephen, hello. He's a slightly older. Gen- <laughs> uh, he's a slightly older gentleman. So I'm do you always. Make, do you make appointments at this? Barbers, uh, yeah, the 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 hairdresser, yeah. It's not like a barbers. It's a it's an all person. Well, I don't know what the difference is. Is it's, it's for all. It's for it's unisex, right? It's a unisex. Okay. But but you have to make an appointment. To go oh, see oh, Stephen. to go and see Stephen. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and you ask for Stephen every. No, every- it's just Stevens. Stevens the only one who works there. He's the uh, he's the all only right. person. So it's a it's a three chair. Uh, I was told the other day that the, the the time of the three chair barbers just just out of here. But apparently that is not true. Stephen is absolutely holding up the three the three chair rule so so hang on hang on hang on one minute you go you go to a barber's hairdressers yeah, yeah. only one person works there yeah he still has but he still has three, three chairs. chairs yeah so okay. the, so there's a very smart reason behind all of this and that's because one's, while one's is drying it's a production line i mean bleaching act- the other one and yeah. then cutting someone else yeah i mean basically basically he's no, got he a, doesn't he's got a slightly older clientele right so if they're all yeah. having an if they're all, if all the late so i go in and like there'll be a lady having a nice they've fallen asleep well they'll have had like a blue rinse or uh, they'll have had like you know a bit of a perm going on or anything like that and it's got to take time to set in so then I sneak in and I'm sat there and I'm like yeah brilliant and he's like well you know these guys they're just going to be here for the next you know 45 minutes so I'll get your hair done now and I'm like yeah cool Pete do you attend a barber's that's that's doing care in the community is yeah. that yeah I mean no they are they, they, they do their clientele is I would say like higher than average right in terms of age and uh, I, I that's why i go there because basically all the other ones all the young and trendy barbers they're all too loud or they're they're very boisterous or they're they're talking about stuff that i don't want to talk about whereas i go there i go go and see steven we talk about yeah. guinea pigs we talk about nice restaurants we talk about nice holidays that he's been on it's a really nice hairdressing experience i nearly got him actually the other day to um to to, to change the color of my hair i was thinking about doing that okay i i just it, it's just more evidence that you are a 70 year old man locked in a 30 <laughs> year old yeah pete is like quantum it is like quantum leap yeah but just... but but in a body <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you were considering changing your hair color yeah mm. in what way because i mean i i've dyed my hair in the past but i was i was much much younger at that age did you just do the tips Dan? i just got highlight they weren't just the tips i, I mean the, frosty the, tips it just went the all the way down to the root but it wasn't a full Ooh. full single color they were highlights just just streaks yeah i did the tips yeah i did the tips on my own cool when i was in year eight yeah i, I had a i had a red highlights because i was cool and it's different mm. do red highlights show up in brown hair they do it just looks like your hair's rusted. <laughs> yeah. And and I wasn't really prepared. For, so the first time I had it done, I went to like a proper hairdresser, had it done. And they put like one of those big rubber, like basically condoms on your head. And they just picked the hair <laughs> through and then put the dye on that. It didn't look good. And then I tried it again when I was at uni and I just got a friend to do it. And then my head kind of just looked a little bit orange. Yeah. So yeah. You want to come see Not- my man, Stephen? My, my, my history of kind of DIY dyeing is not the best. Did you, did you, you guys ever hear about uh, when I tried to dye my own clothes? <laughs> no. I, I was, this is a game when I was at uni. So I said, I wasn't, I wasn't that young, but I was, I was, I was, I was old enough to know better. And I got a pair of jeans, like a pair of normal denim jeans. Yeah. That I got kind yeah. of a rip in them. And I thought, oh, I can't really wear them. They look a bit rubbish. So I'm, I'll try and do something with them so they look a bit better. So I thought what I'll do. Fix them. Obviously, Fix them, for example. So no. Them. No, no, no. Yeah. Or so do something that do something so bold that detracts from the rip. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Another like, get, rip somewhere get, else. Get the get <laughs> cut, cut the round cut the crotch. The, cut the trousers so high up they're like those kind of jean like really super shorts. Okay. I mean Chris is on to because I did 
because the one cut was like, like it was a small rip, a really rubbish rip on the one knee. So I kind of made that rip bigger, and they did a similar rip on the opposite knee. So they were they were real cool. No, but I also decided no. that because they were like deep blue denim. I just yeah. used a regular, regular kind of denim. I decided I wanted them stonewashed. I wanted like that light kind of stonewashed blue, which was quite cool at the time. Um, yeah. So I thought, well, how am I going to get that? I mean, I kind of wanted it. I'd, I'd had some other jeans that were kind of looked a little bit bleached. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do so. I'll, I'll bleach them. That's what I'll do. So obviously, I just I laid them in the bath uh, with a bit of water, um, yeah. and I looked around the bathroom for bleach. Um, and obviously, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so and there was there was there were a selection of uh, bottles of chemicals. Damn. Um, so I I proceeded no. to then fill the bath. Well, not fill the bath. Um, putting copious <laughs> amounts of kind of bleach and domestos and toilet duck and basically anything I could get my hands on. It's not the first episode of Breaking Bad. You mix yeah. bleaches <laughs> together. That's literally yeah. the first thing to not do. Yeah. So mix that all up together. Get it, get it, get it root really good, and then kind of just Dan left it. Dan woke up a week later. Yeah, yeah his vision still hadn't returned. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of left them there for a while, and then kind of got all excited because I was going to have my pair of like cool stone washed jeans. And then when yeah. I, I went to look at them, and they were like, they look a bit purple. Uh... <laughs> and I, t- I, I rinsed them off, and lo and behold, yeah. I, I dyed them purple. But you know what? They still look pretty cool. <laughs> so I then proceeded to wear them. <laughs> quite often <laughs> the they were cool because let's face facts how many people have a pair of Levi's ripped purple jeans I'll tell you how many that kill 99.9% of all bacteria <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. you didn't have to wash them for three months at the time they looked cool in hindsight not so much The uh, listener question comes from Kian Jones. Kian? Kian? Yes. Uh, our friend uh, asks, what's your favourite perfect information game? <laughs> I mean, the question doesn't really come up in Trivial Pursuit that much. but um, I don't understand what the question I'm is. Glad you're, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So, right. A perfect game. A perfect information game is a mainly always board games I can't really think of a computer game but it's where all the information is available to both players at all times so chess chess okay there's a perfect information game and at no point there's no random element there's no like hidden cards so take for example something like Machikoro where all the information is available to all players at all times but you, but there is a level of information which isn't available to players, which is what's going to happen when you roll those dice. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So, so the question is, what's your favourite perfect information game? So, one of my faves is a game called Patchwork. Okay. And what's brilliant about Patchwork is it's also a great little two-player game. And I think most, quite a lot of perfect information games are little two-players, like little two-player gems. And so Patchwork is you have a, a square board each. And on the square board is the square is like split up a bit like a chessboard, lots of little squares on it. And then in the middle of the table or on the carpet, which is where me and my wife like to play <laughs> lots of our games, yeah. you spread out all these little like patchwork pieces and they're a bit like tetronimos um so they're all like different shapes like they're not like just squares they're all like little like kinks and l's and weird sort of like h shapes and all this kind of stuff and basically on your turn you pick up those pieces if you can afford them with these little button like pieces so if you have two little buttons you can pay those two buttons to pay to pick up a two button patchwork piece this sounds very very, cute it's very very cute very very twee it's the only board game i've ever bought my mother to play i still don't think she's she's played it (laughs) and then and then you take the piece you just bought and then you basically you build it into your into your patchwork and at the end of the game certain patches that you put into your quilt are worth certain points and you get points deducted for spaces you haven't built but what's wonderful about it and what makes it a a perfect information game or a pig or a pig whoa 
is that because you have you both have access to all the information at all the same time and unless you're being really sneaky and like hiding coins from the other player the game is has lots of moments where you're looking down and going right that's a piece i really want what if i can get that piece that's going to complete this little gap and at the same time my wife is usually going that's a piece he really wants yeah that's a piece that's really going to fill up that gap there so that's a piece i'm going to be picking up and that's kind of sort of condensing and maybe belittling what makes a good perfect information game but in patchwork's case that's why it really works that kind of small battles of trying to gain this these little bits of territory around the board and at all times knowing what's always available to be to be had so therefore you're you're kind of playing this game of open strategies with the person next to you which really makes for this kind of lovely dynamic there's no moment where it's like ha and i now use this card and right you know i i I take that away from you or now i'm going to do this and you didn't see that one coming it's just like it's one wonderful like slow bubble until the end where you do the scoring and then it's a complete surprise you don't really know who's who's going to be who's going to win so it's lovely i was going to say hey that's my fish Yep, that is a perfect information game. It uh, certainly is. But I've only played it once, so I can't really remember what it is. I think my favourite is chess. I'll be honest, it doesn't sound very exciting, but <laughs> but but I mean, like, you know... like hey, it Pete, is... are you forgetting one of your favourite ever perfect information games? Maybe. What about Backgammon? It's not perfect information. It's not, because there's dice rolls. Yeah, there's dice rolls in Backgammon. I thought dice rolls were allowed, because the information is available for everyone you don't you don't see the dice roll until it's rolled and then everyone sees it at the same time yeah but the the outcome of the dice is random yeah yeah so like your your next part the next piece of your strategy you can't strategize you can't you can't fully strategize because you can't know what your opponent will do next or theoretically could do next it's like the difference between the board games onitama and the duke even though in principle they yeah. have, they're quite similar one is entirely random it's bag drawing and the other one you're just playing the same selection of cards that mm. are face up for everyone to see hey that's my fish is a good shout though yeah that's a really interesting um uh pig game or pig oh no i've just said that that pin number number thing i forget what that's called um but it's a really interesting pig uh mainly in the same way that you know patchwork is and what makes these games really interesting is you're all working on the basis that everyone knows what everyone is kind of up to at the same time right. and the, and and it's someone like hey that's my fish there's those moments where say if you're playing like a three-player game or, or a four-player game in hey that's my fish when you're moving penguins and after you've moved them that the the hexes get taken away from the board so it's very easy for someone to get isolated and when you're playing a game like that it becomes very clear when someone's very close to being isolated so it kind of and because you've got all the information available to you what and what that does is create a situation where you can be suddenly trying to bargain with the players around you to not gang up (laughs) on you because everyone knows the situation that you're in and there's no there's no like dice roll that's going to save you there's no card that's going to save you in that situation so you're almost forced to go hang on please don't gang up on me you can all see the situation that i'm in just give me a couple of turns to get out of it yeah which is which i guess is is the attraction a hive is also another another great shout but but again i don't get to play it a lot because it's not really a favorite of of leases and every time i played it with chris chris has all fin- always finished the game going i have no idea what i just did um yeah, so I, I do like, sound like Len Goodman in that situation. That's right. <laughs> but it's just like it's the same. It's it's the same after I played Shot and Totten with Chris. It's just like I have no idea what I've just been doing. Well, I'm going to actually come in for a, a little bit of a rebuttal there because I've got a game that Sam says that too, and that is Santorini. Which all oh, right, think, okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Which I think is a perfect information game. No, I no, hang on, hang on. I know what I'm doing in Santorini, yeah. but I just don't know what the best thing to do in it is i've not yeah. it's the same with settlers of Catan. like i just haven't been able to crack that puzzle that's not necessarily so. a bad thing i think that is in some respects that aids its replayability because yeah. otherwise it, otherwise i mean you're never going to uh, otherwise there's a risk of gaming the game but santorini's beautiful it's basically you've got a grid got you can play up to two to um, four people 
you've got your two little builders and you move them and you build and you can build orthogonally or diagonally but you have these little god power cards and they're all based on the kind of greek gods okay uh, and so everyone's got their own little pla- um, player powers but everyone knows what they are and you win if you're the person who gets to the top of the tower but other people can prevent you by just standing next to your tower that you've just got ready and primed ready to jump onto and they just put a blue dome on the top like the iconic domes of Santorini and it is a beautiful beautiful game to have on the table mm. but it is totally um, a pig game because uh, there's everything's completely transparent and th- you, you kick yourself afterwards because someone will pull off a move you think oh my gosh I didn't see that coming a bit like chess Right, where yeah. suddenly the bishop will come in, literally out of your peripheral vision. They think, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even clock you." <laughs> What's the bishop that was doing there? I was there? focusing so much on what was directly in front of me. And Santorini is a bit like that. And the player power elements. There's so many of these player powers cards in place that it just adds that variability to it. And I really like it. And a bit like Shot and Totten and Hive. I don't really get it out that much, um, but I, I, I really love it. It's a very pretty game. A very beautiful light strategy game. Just thought of one that could be, and you may well shoot this down immediately, and that's only because I've played it once, and I played it a long time ago with you guys, but I know you've played it more, so I'm not sure whether or not I'm actually right, because I can't remember how it all plays out. What about Flick 'em Up? Huh. Is there a... Is there a in my mind, it's just huh. the, the layout of your, your, kind of your meeples and your things that you flick around. I can't remember if there is a card-based element to it or any extra element. Flick'em up's an interesting one, actually, Dan, because because dexterity games, you you have the intention, but you maybe just crap at flicking for one go, and suddenly chance, it's like rolling a dice. Suddenly chance is a factor there. But is it is it though? I mean, like, is chance a factor if you've if you're if you're just crap at something that doesn't that isn't hidden information? Like, is physicality like you can get better at flick'em up games, right? Like, you can get better at yeah. being physically oh, I better know, but, at the game. But st- but still, like random things can happen. Like you're le- you're more likely to accidentally flick something incorrectly in flick 'em up than you are, say, if you're playing a car game, pulling the wrong card out of your hand and then playing it. Say, for example. Yeah, definitely. But it is possible to know absolutely everything in that game. Oh yeah, completely. But it's just it's just I suppose it is technically you're right. It fulfills that description. But there's mm. there's there's a little bit more variability there in terms of actually what does happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like it's like playing Jenga, for example. You can see the intention the player is going to do, but the whole yeah. thing could topple at any moment if That's you know Dan sneezes or something. I literally got notification today on my Kickstarter app yeah. that Burgle Brothers 2 has been funded. This <gasps> is my first Kickstarter. Oh. I, I actually looked at that the other day and I, can, I considered kickstarting it. Oh, I'm really? so looking forward to this. The problem is now that it started recommending me other things to follow and I'm having to resist. I know Sam's Ooh. shaking his head and quite wisely. Um, I've only, I, I'd only, I would never have probably gone in for the first Bogle Brothers unless I knew that it was good, and so I'm a bit wary of that kind of thing. But no, yeah. I'm really loving it. I'm, I'm loving getting the updates. It's great about the whole process. Um, I feel like a producer of a, of a film where the director says, "Hey, Chris, um, we're just, we just finished this shot. Do you want to take a look and see what you think?" So, like, we occasionally I'll get like, um, not just me personally, but like all the fo- all the backers will get like a Google um, form to fill out, voting on certain things we'd like to see and stuff and things. And it's really cool yeah. to be part of that kind of process, really. There's something nice, isn't there? I mean, I, I, I don't know if you feel the same, but this I've, I've backed like maybe six or seven Kickstarters in my life so far, and I've received maybe a third of them. Uh, but um, like the thing I really like is backing a Kickstarter where I'm just like, I'm just going to give you this money and hopefully you'll make something good out of it. I just kind of want to see this get made. Like, yeah. I, I just I just want to be, like, along for the ride. And I think being along for the ride is quite a fun bit of it. And I think, like, the Kickstarters I've really not liked have been the ones where I've been like, yeah, I'm really excited. Here's some money. And then they're like, cool. And then in, like, three and a half months' time, they're like, here's your thing. And you're like, you didn't tell me anything about this. Like, I j- it's just arriving now. It's just a pre-order. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's a pain, like, and Dan will attest to this with Shenmue 3, that, like, I've, I've pre-ordered, like, board games that are, like, and it's been, like, a year and a half before they've come out, and you don't get a single update, generally. Right, right. I, I, to be fair, I do get regular updates on Shenmue. I got, I got one uh, on Friday that was uh, 
project update number 112. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Just release the game. That's incredible, Dan. No, I, I take that back then because I, I forget, sorry, Dan, that yours was a Kickstarter as well, technically, wasn't it, for Shenmue? Yeah. It wasn't a pre-order. It wasn't like the game was already funded. Yeah, that's No, true, I mean, I, tr- I treated it like a pre-order. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was absolutely a Kickstarter. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's coming to the end of the road with the Shenmue 3 Kickstarter now. Um, the, the updates I'm getting now is we're at the Tokyo Game Show. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're nearly ready. We're going to be sending out our yeah. surveys soon for you to put any last details or anything so that's all is what's happening with can we change the name of the game please yeah yeah uh, <laughs> um yeah it's great i'm loving it man i'm really really loving it because yeah as i was saying i've pre-ordered board games you don't hear anything from them and you just have to look for rumors and um yeah. check the same forum post on board game geek to get updates and things but this is great i'm getting it's coming straight to my phone i get a little ping oh fancy these new minis oh um, yeah, yes, maybe. Yes, I do. Um, the uh, the thing I like is that because um, it's his name's Tim Fowers. Is that his Tim name? Fowers? Yeah, I was very fortunate enough to chat to the bloke um, on uh, the We're Not Wizards podcast. Actually, so, so like the thing I really like about him because I've just had a quick look at the Kickstarter for for Burgle Brothers Two, and like the thing I really like about it is that he was asking for like twenty five grand or something like that, and he's got like nearly half a million dollars, <laughs> and like it's incredible. And I think the thing I really like about it is that, like, he's built up so much goodwill in the board game community by doing that first one and then it being great and delivering it and it being, you know, really, really well on it. And then with Burgle Brothers, like, he's he's built this, like, you know, he did the app and it's, a you know, a pretty good app like and it's, you know, well-priced and all that sort of stuff. And he seems to, like get involved in the community and like he seems to like go and speak with people and go on pod nice podcasts and stuff like that and like that's kind of what i like about it is then like that's shown in like and now he's got half a million dollars and like thousands of people have like kickstarted his game and i think that's a really that we're still at that really nice phase in tabletop games where there is like one person who is like the figurehead of the game and you're like yeah i want to back this because i really want this person to succeed i like the that we're still at that sort of yeah stage yeah i i did see that crop up actually quite recently and i was i was really tempted i'm not like partly i was really tempted because i'm a sucker for kind of like really good packaging and it's really beautifully packaged i was like oh but then i just thought to myself it will be densely packaged yeah there's there's a lot to it and it's kind of multi-purpose and it looked amazing and I just thought, hang on a minute, I'm probably never really going to play this game just because I'm not going to be in a scenario where this game will get played. So I'm buying it because it looks nice. I'm kind of like, that's mm. not enough of a reason for me to drop this money on it. As much as I would enjoy the oh, game if there. I played it. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just the just the, the look of it wasn't enough for me to purchase. No, it, it's um, the Burger Brothers. It's our my partner and mine. It's our it's our favourite game. I think um, it, it's a heist game, a cooperative heist game, and. Yeah, this one is a kind of a sequel. It's the same gang in a casino, and there's kind of you've got more kind of powers and upgrades abilities, and just some really quite cool stuff as you're trying to case this joint while the security guards are roaming around Metal Gear Solid esque, and you've got to avoid them. But I'll, I'll give a proper update on it when it comes out, which I don't know, be sometime next year, I presume. Oh yeah, it's not going to be anytime soon. No. But congratulations, Chris. I reward you. You're well in. I, I I just I just stay away from Kickstarter. I, I it's just safer that way. Everything everything I've backed have I've either played before or have some sort of faith that it will be good. So the first right. thing I did was Temp Worker Assassins, which I played at Manchester Tabletop Gaming before I backed it. Uh, Monica's was a bit of a shot in the dark, but it was the Shut Up and Sit Down expansion that was like twelve quid. So I thought I'll try that. And then we played it, and then it was fantastic. So everyone in my family bought the damn game. And then I was going to back... What was that Tim Fowers game? Now now boarding. Yes. But Tim Fowers, being the fantastic person he is, released it free as a print and play. And so I printed it all off, laminated everything, and me and Chris played it. And we were like, oh, you know, this is nice, but yeah, real-time yeah. games are just not my thing. So, you know, I, you know, didn't put any money behind it because it just wasn't wasn't my thing but i think that's i think that's one of those things isn't it where like i think for a lot of creators they would rather they would rather like you didn't part with your money if it wasn't the thing you wanted yeah do you know what i mean like there's there's a there's um 
there's an RPG person, uh, a, a PC role playing game uh, creator, and um, uh, heads up something called um, Spiderweb Software. And he's quoted as saying, "If you don't, if you're not the sort of person who likes my games, I don't want your money." Like, and it's and it's this idea of I'd rather have a, a a complete customer base that is like completely happy with what they've purchased, so that they keep buying, they keep buying and buying and buying and buying, and the next one's the next one, and the next one. And I find that really interesting. I think maybe that's part of the reason that sometimes people do these print and plays, so that like when you get the game at the end of it, you're not like, oh, I didn't like it. Yeah, and 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 I think the one thing that I don't enjoy about Kickstarter is the like the exclusivity of it the feeling that the pressure it kind of puts under quite a, some of that some people not everyone that put puts under some of the audience in terms of you've got to get this because it's never going to be available yeah. in the shops yeah 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 if you don't jump on board now you're going to miss out on this thing and i think that that's led to quite a lot of um products coming out uh via kickstarter that have maybe been not really achieved essentially what they wanted to do or maybe their focus has been a little bit skewed i think again going back to tim fowers everything that he does on kickstarter is at some point then made available at retail yeah so you really get the impression that like what chris is doing is going is like you said literally backing tim fowers and going i really love what you're doing if if buying the product now before it's made helps it get made so everyone else can enjoy it down on the road and maybe Chris will get a little bit of a discount on what that product would be full price at a retail version, yeah. Then, then, yeah, that's brilliant. I'm all for it. Mm. And I think what makes it a little easier for me now in terms of maybe thinking twice about backing Kickstarter games is there's more and more companies and individuals reaching out to board game reviewers to actually review the game prior to that yeah. in rich detail. Whenever I've watched a review... And going back to Tim Fowers for an example, because sometimes he has offered early prototypes of his games for review. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I, watched, been... I watched Thorn and Burgle Brothers too. That's been reviewed by Rado, say for example. He's reviewed yeah. it. Cool. But the thing, but the thing there is, I think that's all about the mechanics of how the game will work yep. are already set in stone. Yes. So they're able to make a review based on this is how the mechanics work. Yep. Yes. Mechanically, this feels like a good game. We can't say anything about what the card stock will feel like, what yeah, the minis yeah, will yeah. look like, you know, how the actual art will, will manifest itself, even the rules book. I remember there was a really interesting thing that he he did for now boarding where it was his rule book for now boarding was a Google Doc. <laughs> Literally anyone could like come into it. That's and, amazing. Like, make little like errors and like make comments on things and say this rule needs to be clarified and why don't you say it this way? So yeah, I think if I ever watch a Kickstarter review for a product, it's always the same way I watch any board game review. I'm not, I'm not I'm not really watching it. What am I trying to say here? You're trying to say, I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say that actually it doesn't matter if they like it or not because they could be a different type of gamer to you. You, you can actually read between the lines, look at the mechanics and yeah. things. Does, is this a yeah. good fit for me? That's really yeah. good. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. always really yeah. good. Like there, 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 there are some reviewers I kind of, I'm on the level with that I'd probably take a risk on. Yeah. Like yeah. Six Nymphed, for example, on the face of it. When you try and explain that game or demonstrate it in front of someone, you don't really understand what's going on because it's all mental it's like the mind it's like when you explain the mind to someone it sounds ridiculous because there's nothing mm-hmm. mechanically in front of you as a player which goes like mousetrap it's like it's like the equivalent of like showing a kid mousetrap and going look what happens when i press this mousetrap that looks cool yeah compared Quaxa, to Quaxa quedlinburg who could who would have thought that drawing stuff out of a bag would be yeah, yeah. hilarious but like but, but even more but even more with the mind look what happens to what chris does when i put down a 98 <laughs> and guys go like, yeah yeah like, also like that's also i like describing the mind to people because it's this it's just like what you do is you get four people in a room and you sit there in silence <laughs> <laughs> well that's also but there, splendor but, but there are some reviewers <laughs> that you have to you have to be in line with and it's the same with video games to be able to make to be able to make that leap oh yeah completely yeah trust yeah that you're on that wavelength like there's only a select number of video game reviewers that that i'm there with a board game stuff but most of the time when i watch a board game review it's it's i just need someone there to to play it and explain it and yeah show me how everything works 
Yeah, and I think I think in those situations, those reviews are really good and really useful. The mm. the other the other downside that these things happen with Kickstarter is like Kickstarter now is 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 becoming less and less and less. Hey, I've got this really good idea. You've never heard of me, but here's a few here's a few sketches. Here's a few bits and pieces. I really want to get this off the ground. It's like go. It's now going way further down into the like. This is just a pre-order for a big box of plastic. Like. And like, I don't know, and I think those reviews are sort of emblematic of that because people are now like, well, is the game good? And it's just like, well, hold on a sec. This is all about getting the game too good. Like, it isn't about, is it shouldn't necessarily be, is the game good? It's like, is this person actually capable of delivering what this is going to be? But I mean, I you know, there's, there's lots of different, there's lots of grey area in Kickstarters of what stage something should be at for you to go, yes, here's my money. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I actually been playing um been playing a game myself uh, uh that was originally on Kickstarter. I didn't actually back it at the time. Um I have been playing a game called Kelvin and the Infamous Machine. And um it's this is uh because I was like, you know what? I would like to play a point and click adventure because I haven't, uh, I always find them quite relaxing. I find the comedy ones very relaxing um, and uh, I find them quite therapeutic in that I, I can play them on my mobile. So I, indeed I, I did actually play this on my, my mobile telephone. I played this on Android. And uh, basically it is from a company called Blitz, B-L-Y-T-S. It's on Steam as well. It's on, I think it's on iOS as well, but I, I, as I say, I played it on Android. And it was kickstarted a number of years ago now. I think like maybe like 2014, 2015, that kind of thing. And it is a classic Monkey Island esque point and click adventure. In that it's it's you you find you look around spaces, you find objects, you rub those objects together. Sometimes they fit together, and then you rub those objects against other objects in the space. Uh, those objects might be people. Um, so, for example, um, and are you always rubbing? I mean, oh. you're always always be rubbing. Um, right. Just so, um, yeah. So you will. There's never. There isn't any of that like old school point and click stuff of like different ways you can use the same object of like pull object, push object. Uh, poke object there's none of that sort of stuff mm. it's just like That's here's good. the object yeah. put it against this it will do the thing automatically so is it yeah. is it a lot easier than some of the old classic kind of point and clicks like yeah Monkey it's Island? it's it's nowhere near as like tough as uh, and i say tough nowhere near as unforgiving as like police quest or um or or, or uh, i don't know um i think even monkey island is actually a little bit uh, a little bit too challenging in places certainly stuff like gabriel gabriel knight but no this one is about four maybe five hours if like me you're a bit stupid of just wandering around a really nice space and this is the theme and this is what i really liked about it you play as a character called Kelvin, and Kelvin <laughs> is uh, a is a, an assistant to a scientist who yeah. who has invented a time machine. But because the time machine looks like a shower, okay, he's laughed out of uh, out of like academic circles and like research circles. So he goes mad and he goes back into time into different. <laughs> goes diff back into time. Into time. time uh, <laughs> reverses into it. Different. Yeah, he's like he's like he's like watch out, lads. Beep beep beep. beep. Hold on. Beep. Hold on. Go back up in here. Where's Bach? There he is. Beep. So um uh so. <laughs> He goes back in through back through time, and uh, you he basically starts changing things in the past, and so now in the future the the time space continuum is a little bit uh, fragile, and you have to go back into these three specific points of time and figure out who the people are that you're meant to be changing uh, changing the events of. So one example is uh, you meet Beethoven, and Beethoven doesn't create Beethoven's fifth. Beethoven actually stops beforehand and da, 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 da. <laughs> no just duh yeah uh, yeah and then what transpires from there is hilarity but hang on hang on go on I might be looking too much into this yeah but surely yes he just needs to back into the time parking spot yeah in which he made the decision to make his time machine look like a shower and go 
let's not do that. Yeah, no, I think Sam, you might let's have also not bleached the jeans in yeah. said shower. <laughs> uh, you, you, you might. I think you might be taking this a little bit too seriously. Unfortunately, um, oh, it right. is definitely. I, I, have, I have a, I have a, uh, a solution to your quandary, Sam. Oh please! If he went back in time to tell his yeah. former self not to make it look like a shower, that would in, that would involve the time machine changing the look of it, which would change the time machine he was in, so it would create a time paradox. Ooh. So he couldn't go back and cross his previous timeline, so he had to remain a shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it depends whether you're taking the Avengers oh. theory of time travel or the Back to the Future. Oh, I take Back to the Future because that is time travel. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank God for that. I'm, I'm glad that's finally yeah. settled. The actual what actual time travel yeah. is. Do you know what the thank original you. time machine in Back to the Future was going to be? It wasn't a DeLorean car. Do you know what it was going to be originally? Toilet. Shower. It was a little bit of both. I don't know why I said that. A fridge. A fridge. <laughs> a little bit of both. I wait, don't know what wait, I meant wait, by that. Wait, 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 wait. Don't drink <laughs> anything out of my fridge. <laughs> it's not a fridge. Isn't even in the bathroom. No, it isn't. Well. And where's the water coming from in your fridge? <laughs> uh, do you want ice? I'll be all right. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so you, so basically, uh, apple juice. Uh, you go back in time and you help Beethoven uh, discover the fifth. But you, but all of these characters are a little bit cranky. So there's Beethoven, and then there's Newton. And there is Darwin. Leonardo da Vinci. Dickens. It's Da Vinci. Good one. Uh, yes, nice it is Da Vinci. Done. And uh, so you, you go and help those three uh, sort things out. And basically, um, it's really snappily written. Um, like the, the the writing is just really like the writing is really snappy. It's that Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer sort of. Uh, constant okay. playing off of one another really snappy little one-liners coming in when you're just not expecting them and they just make you that just the entire time you've got this you've, you've got this smirk on your face of oh that was really clever or oh that was a really nice little bit of writing or that is a really really funny joke like it is very good in that way and it's really well uh, optimized for mobile like you tap and tap your finger on the screen you hold it and it just shows you everything you can interact with so you don't have to go pixel hunting which is my absolute favorite because it just means that you push through that story now here's the thing the only thing that i came away from it with that i i kind of like was a little bit disappointed with was it kind of felt just i i was like i i just want another chapter just just one more chapter it just feels slightly too short just slightly too short and i went and looked it all up and that's when i found out it was a kickstarter because you know how in kickstarters you get like stretch goals and stuff yeah yeah well that was what the extra chapters were going to be and it turns out they squeaked through they actually just about managed to get their funding and and you know make a really really good game it's really well polished but the extra chapters were going to be extra stuff uh, stretch goals. Stretch goals, and like mm. I find that, and the, now the good thing is, I came away from it like, okay, bit short, but leave them wanting more. Like now, I'm like, I want a sequel, right? But I find that really interesting that 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 genuinely did seem to be their strategy of like, well, we know what stories we really want to tell, and what we can definitely do a minimum viable product of like, this is going to be the thing that we release, and we're going to be happy with it. But if we get a chance, we'll do Einstein, we'll do mm. whoever and whoever. And I, I I really wish, I really hope there's a sequel so I can actually go back and like play around in those times as well because those three stories are really really fun. Um, I just I, I came away from it like, oh, I want more of this. Want more of this so I, sh I should have backed it at the time that's the right. if only could go back in time th using using chris's fridge toilet <laughs> yeah lads <laughs> lads why did why did beethoven go to the car dealership i don't know hang on hang on Old, okay uh, uh, yeah no let's on. do some science on this hold on beethoven car dealership <sighs> fifth symphony he he's picked his words carefully yeah go back why did beethoven go to the car dealership? go back Go back, did you say? Go back. No, no, just go to the car dealership. Oh, now, Beethoven... Okay. Now, now he's not picked why did the classical musician yeah, yeah, yeah. go to the car dealership. It's specifically Beethoven. Beethoven, is, Beethoven was deaf. Deaf. But I don't feel it's anything to do with that. So it's, I think it's got to do with a specific piece of music. The most notable, probably the piece of music is the fifth symphony and it's probably something to do with the da, 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 da. 
but I can't <laughs> beyond that. I think I've made. I think I've built the bridge, but I can't make the yeah, final there's, step. Yeah, there's got to be something in there, isn't there? There's like, it's got to be something with. What was this pop? We were award nominated last year. And then Pete went back in time and screwed everything up. Yeah. God, Chris, put us out of our misery for God's sake. Why did Beethoven go to the car dealership? Yeah. For release? You absolute <laughs> bastard. Thoroughly. That's like a good two minutes of my life that I won't get back. Um, Sam, don't spoil control for me. But do don't do tell do tell me bits of it though. Do tell me. Okay. I'm genuinely interested because it like it looks like it looks like. It's the new hotness, isn't it? It is the new hotness. It looks like the kind of game that yeah. the, the sequel will be massive. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, every once in a while you'll see, like, the first Uncharted, you saw it and you went, there's something here. And then the second one is like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I can, yeah, I can, I can see that. Um... How many hours have you sunk into it, Sam? Only only a couple so far, so so don't worry about me not spoiling it. Thank but, God. But um, a bit like all the games that I speak of on this podcast, I'm I've played for it far too short a time and got far too overexcited about it that I just wanted to talk about all it. Right. Control is a game by Remedy Entertainment. Yep. Who previously made Quantum Break, Max Payne, and everybody's favourite game, Alan Wake. Which is genuinely one of my favourite games. I love it. Great I game. love it. Yeah. Alan Wake's beautiful. So Control is the first game they've released uh, outside of their Microsoft deal. So it's finally on PlayStation. And it is... Well... Okay. So I will give you sort of like the intro blurb to what Control is. Okay. Story-wise. Okay. Yeah. You play a uh, protagonist called Jesse. Okay. And the game starts with you entering a building in New York that's just called The Oldest House. And The Oldest House is described in the game as a building that only becomes known to you when you want to find it. So in all of the times it remains hidden. And it's, and it's, like, it's like in Harry Potter like that. A bit like in Harry Potter, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's sentences like that that really grab my attention in terms of game, mm. like game narratives and like general narratives in you know in everything, because it kind of gives the whole thing, the whole game, this wonderful layer of depth that is only you only ever seem to be like chiseling on the top of. I don't know if it will go any deeper in terms of, you know, the story and what's going to happen. In a way, I kind of don't want it to. At the moment, I'm really enjoying, like, wandering around this abandoned office building for reasons that I won't spoil. And picking up all these um, documents that have been left behind, most of which the documents have been redacted. So you're always just generally on the cusp of finding out a really interesting bit of, a bit of information, a really, like, juicy bit of 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 law around something that this that this building was involved with because this building the oldest house is a home of the federal bureau of control who are essentially if the x-files had a big government bod- budget and it wasn't just two people running around you know stopping murders and stuff yeah it would like this this federal bureau of control has a division has a division called dead letters in which they've gathered together all the letters that uh, have become undeliverable by the US post service so any letter that goes undelivered automatically gets sent to the federal bureau of control because there's a possibility that there's been some sort of paranormal activity that's gone on gone on um, with them okay um which again is as a as a wonderful bit of bit of like legend building within this place yeah and there's a thing that this game does where because are because the world that you're in and because of this 
this this house, this oldest house that you're in. You're never quite sure whether the game is a bit shonky or <laughs> it's doing stuff that's exceptionally clever. Right, okay. So when a bit of texture doesn't pop in right, but then it does, oh, you never okay. quite know whether the game is being exceptionally clever or it's slightly broken. It's a bit like that Deadly Premonition film thing. Yeah. Where it's um, just spawned the cusp of, you know, janky that it might actually be doing it deliberately and getting away with it. That's really clever. Because there are genuine moments when I've been playing Control where I've gone down a corridor and then turned around and come back and the corridor I've gone down has been completely different or a room has appeared that I was convinced I'd been into all the rooms but no, this appears to be a new room and now I'm not quite sure whether that room has just appeared or it was always there and I missed it. Right. So there is something genuinely unsettling about about this this game and it's not unsettling in a in a tense way it's kind of unsettling in like yeah i really want to investigate stuff because i really want some more freaky things to to happen because mm. i quite that that feeling that like little bit of buzz when something and it's not like the layers of fear frightening or pt it's not doing it to get a scare out of you it's doing it to make this as convincing as possible because the thing about the oldest house is it does shape shift there are rooms which almost like an inverse rubik's cube where the structure of the house itself is like pushed in on itself and formed new rooms and then when you've cleared that room of enemies the the house will sort of morph back into the shape that it previously was like all these little blocks will suddenly like push away and the room will go back to back to how it was. Mm. So there's always this idea that, and they talk about it a little bit in the opening about how they're almost having to fight the house and how the house behaves to get it to settle into some sort of space that they can actually run a federal bureau of something. So there's there's this idea of these things that have been locked away and these secrets that are, are remaining to be hidden all within this action shooting game, which is kind of the 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 b-side to all the narrative stuff that that's keeping me there and, and luckily the shooting and the um the combat is actually quite satisfying you have this gun that doesn't have ammo it just automatically reloads okay and if you hold on to this gun you are the director of the whole bureau but <laughs> the gun selects the person who holds it and if you fail the selection process you die there's a lot of lore to kind of pick up, which kind of feels a bit a bit laboured sometimes. It kind of feels like a bit like you're making me do all the work reading all this stuff right. when you could have just shown it. But then when you wander into a room and see lots of members of the of staff levitating in the air, and then these enemies start coming towards you and you start fighting them, like you're like that sick. just always seems to come at the right time right. to like bring you out of that lethargy and kind of bring you back into that world because the gunplay is actually exceptionally snappy you have this you have this gun which is essentially made up of part of the house so the gun just like the oldest house can change and shift and move your gun can also change and shift and move and i believe later on in the game it will change into like a shotgun and a sniper rifle um and it also it doesn't have any ammo so the gun reloads after a after a period if you shoot all the ammo it takes a short like recharging time so then you're forced to use these paranormal um like actions that you have available to you and you can like levitate you can pick you can literally rip the concrete from the house and throw it at your and throw at your enemies so there's this wonderful i'm done shooting now now i'm going to have to either run off and hide which is a little bit impossible because you you the the battles happen in these enclosed sort of square like cube arenas or I'm going to have to think about the other tools I have available to me to take down these enemies and then I get my gun back use the gun finish that round of ammo then go to my melee or my other strategies so it's a wonderful balance between this like digging around for lore and then sorting out getting these enemies free so you can then carry on digging around for lore and then you can move on to the next battle. And it's, I think, control probably is best summed up to anyone who's always re, who, 
to anyone who likes it when they're left in their office block on their own or they've ever been as a kid did you ever get the opportunity to go around your school when no one was yeah, there yeah 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 and like yeah it's creepy i think it's it's creepy but also exceedingly familiar yeah. and there's something wonderfully delightful about like being the last person in an office block and just these places that usually are inhabited by hundreds and thousands of people just being empty and you you being the only person in there who can explore and roam around there are like other characters that are, that are in the space but largely you're just left on your own to explore this this moving shifting shaping geography of an of an office building and i think if if you're that kind of person if you're that as a kid you like you know went to church and you were the last person there and you just were just happy sort of wandering around while no one was there to supervise you or you're the last person in an office like on a night shift and that kind of stuff then control is just like that's cool oh it's so good and you're not exploring a boring accountancy office you're exploring a building where there's there's a wonderful note you find very early on which describes the stuff you're not allowed to bring into the building and one of them is it's something like do not bring in anything that is a definitive object of its type so like a rubber duck right is like a very definite shape and object that kind of defines itself and all other rubber ducks because there's a thing that happens where these objects can become like objects of power and actually become quite destructive. Right. So if you bring in something that the house deems like a like a iconograph like a that has really strong iconography, like for example, one of the the next object of power I'm going to is a red as a red Baker light phone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's like the only thing I've seen of it so far is it's suspended in this plastic box in the middle of this black and white checkerboard room with this little leather armchair sitting next to it and the phone just ringing and remedy just do some brilliant things with with narrative and storytelling like it just instead of someone going right here is your next mission and here's something on the map someone did do that but then there was a cutscene where there was just this phone ringing in the background and the phone just getting louder and louder and louder and it just showing me this box and this room and like slowly going towards it and towards it and towards it and towards it and that being like my next objective and it's done and it's done some wonderful things with um internal monologue like the character speaks to herself quite a lot so it's it's i i just hope it's going to be able to keep up this steam for the rest of for the rest of like its playtime because I, I i always worry about games like this like assassin's creed odyssey was a really interesting first six or seven hours when you're when i was just going over that one island and the pace was really snappy and everything was sort of at a nice speed and then it drops off right. so i'm hoping that this is just as riveting as it already has been look out for the fridge sam I will. No, genuinely, oh, there, oh, I've heard yeah, about the fridge. there is a fridge in it. Genuinely, oh, there is also. Yeah. Oh, I have actually heard, and I will spoil this. There's a fridge in it where someone has to be watching the fridge at all times, and apparently, you stumble across this guy, and the person who's meant to relieve him hasn't turned up for a shift because there's been this thing that's happened in the Federal Bureau of Control, so he's just been left to stare at this fridge. There's also a room in control that apparently is voiced by Hideo Kojima and it's just a room full of forklifts and um, Hideo Kojima just says something very Kojima-esque That's cool. whilst you're in this That's room great. full of That's forklifts. Great. I'm pretty ill at the moment, don't know if you can tell, um, but that's because oh. I decided to go running on one of the coldest days of this month, which is impressive because as a recording, it's only been nine days yeah and it was really really muddy so i'm not feeling that good doesn't matter because it's all for a good cause was it all for a good cause i was doing it for charity i never leave my house without turning on the charity miles app dan you know me better than that does that mean it's time for a charity miles update yeah (laughs) <laughs> Don't get too excited. I mean, come on. I'm excited. I'm excited, Dan. I've been logging miles every single day. I've been putting my steps you in. Have, you have been diligent. Diligent. You That's have. That's what they call me. And I know this because uh, 
up until recently, um, for the first seven months of this year, uh, I have been also diligently recording diligently. every single submission that people have put in. Yeah. I calculated it to be around about 2,000 submissions, and I That's cool. recorded every single one of them. That's a lot. Unfortunately, yeah. about a month ago, the app where I was getting all my information stopped giving me said information. So I've been able, unable to be recording them since then. However, okay. I've, I've pulled together all of my brain cells. Yeah. I directed them towards a spreadsheet and I got working. Okay. And I was able to figure out a ratio of running to cycling for every single person who has oh, been joining damn. in our charity miles. And so, so well. through the through the through the joys of mathematics, <laughs> I can approximate a total amount that we have raised. Okay, that's good. Would you like to know so far how much we've raised? Now, before it was a bit more concrete. This is a bit more of an approximation. But would you like to know how much we've raised so far? Heck yeah! Can you give it? Can you give us it in millions of pounds, Dan? In millions of pounds. Okay, it's less than a million pounds. Okay. Okay. Zero, 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 zero. It's, it's zero million pounds. <laughs> Getting warmer. The first four digits are zero. So I don't remember when we last updated this. Um, so I'm not quite sure where we were last time. So, but I can tell you where we are now because we're on a nice big round number. So it feels quite nice. Yeah, go on. So who, do you want to have a guess where we are? No, I don't want to guess because I don't want to be like a hundred thousand pounds <laughs> and it's like a tenner. Like I, I would hate that. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. That is fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, we have raised so far this year for charity, for a selection of charities. The charities so far I can tell you that we have raised for are uh, Stand Up to Cancer, World Wildlife Fund, Alzheimer's Association, Girl Up, Back on My Feet, Save the Children, Autism Speaks, and The Nature Conservancy. Bloody hell. Fantastic. And we have so far raised a grand total of £1,800, no. which I think is pretty fantastic. Oh, my God. Because really? when you say we, Dan, when you say we, you don't mean just us four. I think that's important. Well, I don't mean yeah, us four. No. Uh, there is, I think, 29 runners in total. So it's 25 people are running with us. So that's cool. close your eyes next time you go for a run. You can imagine being surrounded by 25 other people, and that's who, you, that's who you're running with. Um, some people scary. have run just a little bit. Some people yeah. have run an awful lot of miles, running, yeah. cycling, doing whatever they can, and it's been fantastic. Eighteen hundred pounds, eighteen hundred dollars. Sorry, um, so far we are on course to reach just over two thousand. Um, I think last time we had an update, Sam decided our target was going to be two thousand five hundred. I'm not sure we didn't quite make that. Did. Oh, we can do it. Okay, Chris, come on. Sort it. Oh, out. should we just leave now, Sam, and go running? Yep. Just do it now. Off. Running. Off you go then. All right. See you later. God, he's got his lycra right. as well. Off you go. He's gone. Well, uh, let's wrap it up. Right. Wow. That's it. I'm gonna go as well. Yeah. I'm. I mean, I've I'm, I've got a cold, but if we've got to get this target of two and a half grand, heading out. Oh, oh. oh he's back. <laughs> what a, what a run. Look at those lunges. Oh. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, this is. Oh. What a machine. What a run. <laughs> make make sure to have a proper warm down, Sam. I will. I will do. Okay. Oh, good. I tell you. Lactic acid. It's a killer. I'm fully taking advantage of the fact that Charity Miles app rounds up. Yeah. <laughs> Saves me many a day. That was staying in with Daniel Frost, Sam Turner, Peter Willington and myself, a cold-infested Chris Darby. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to leave a review too, we'd be really chuffed to bits. Keen to dig a little further? Why not head over to stayinginpodcast.com? On it, you'll find our page on Board Game Geek, our Steam curation page and all the different ways you can follow us. At Staying In Pod is where you need to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For those of you who want to get fit and do so for a good cause, 
come and join our team. Just head to your app store and download Charity Miles for your mobile telephone and look for us in the app at hashtag stayinginpod. That's all one word, hashtag stayinginpod. Thanks for listening.